money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. Jodie Hampshire is the Managing Director of Russell Investments Australia, a global asset manager and one of the only few firms that offers multi-asset portfolios. Jodie is also a breast cancer survivor, a mother of four with three adopted children from Sierra Leone and the author of Lionheart, the real-life guide for adoptive families. It, it really it really has been in the last probably five to seven years that I've taken very deliberate action to improve my financial security because I had the bandwidth to do so. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a mortgage choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Jodie, welcome to Tilly Money. Thank you for having me, Maureen. It's a pleasure. Yeah, my, my pleasure. And I'm looking forward to talking to you because I know of Russell Investments being the, um, the advice firm we have. But there was something when I was doing a little bit of research about you that I really liked because it said that Russell Investments is dedicated to improving people's financial security. And I thought straight away I felt a good link with you because Tilly Money is all about lifting the financial understanding of money for women in particular with a view to their financial independence and security. So we're aligned. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's something I care a lot about myself. Yeah. And, and it really drives the work that I do at Russell and how I think about my finances as well. Well, we're going to ask you both things. Firstly, tell us a little bit about Russell because I know it's a global, as I said in the beginning, it's a global enterprise. But when I looked at the figures, the amount of money, I, I didn't just see billions, I saw trillions. So there's a lot of money that Russell either manages in one way or another for clients. Tell us more about that. All right. Um, so we're very fortunate to have a, a global business with an enormous footprint. So we advise some of the world's largest investors, mm -hmm. um, trillions and trillions of, of yes. those. We manage assets on behalf of a range of investors from pension funds to insurers to mm. not-for-profit organisations to financial advisors and we manage over $400 billion on behalf of, um, of those investors. Mm. So we get to see pretty much everything that's going on globally in investment you markets would. and get, mm. to, get to have a real impact on improving financial security, which is, which is Russell's um, purpose. Mm, definitely. Now, I know that you spent years in Russell and then you went to the UK, I believe, and you worked for Mercer, I think it was, and now you're back as MD um, of Russell Australia. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Sure. So I was very young in my first time at Russell. So mm. I joined Russell when I was about 25 mm. and did some really interesting roles both here in Sydney 
and then in London and uh, then moved to Dubai mm-hmm. for three years. Interesting. I was, yeah, I wasn't mm. working there. Mm. I had my own business there, which was a children's fashion business. Oh, did you? Really yeah. fun, really creative, mm. terrible mm. way to make money, Maureen. So <laughs> I don't recommend that for improving yes. financial security, but <laughs> a lot of fun. And yeah. during that time in Dubai, we adopted our, our first three children. Mm. So I was very focused on being a full-time mom, mm. integrating the kids into the family. Mm. Then we returned to Sydney. Um, our three adopted kids begged for a baby. Adoption oh. was always our first choice. Yes. Um, so we had a baby. So we've mm. got a fourth child. Mm. And then I went back to work. So I worked mm. for Mercer in Australia for a couple of years, mm. which I enjoyed. And then Russell um, worked over time to convince me to come back okay. yeah. and mm. uh, and run the institutional business mm. first of all. And then I took over the uh, the entire Australian business mm. maybe three years ago. Mm. Okay, fantastic. And I'm sure they're... they're um, Lucky to have you. And uh, but um, Russell itself started in about 1936. It's a pretty established company, isn't it? And uh, what's that about 84 years ago? Yeah. We have been around for a long time. And one of the things, uh, probably two things that really attract people to Russell, and certainly explain why I'm a boomerang in, in coming mm. back. Um, one is the culture of the place is fantastic. So mm. it was a family. Um, it was a family company. There was a Frank Russell, wasn't there? There was a Frank mm. Russell, the mm. architect of Russell, um, and, and the the person that you know started the idea of manager research mm. and and created this um, you know, pension fund consulting industry was mm. George Russell, which was which was his son. Oh, okay. So we're no longer family owned, but mm. a lot of that culture around doing the right thing mm. is still really still strong. Mm. The it's other. Important. Yeah, the other thing mm. that is really interesting about Russell is we've been around for a long time and I think that's because we innovate. Mm. So in Australia, we've been here for about 32, 33 years. Mm. We came out to Australia um, to advise Lend-Lease at the time okay. how to create multi-manager portfolios. So we mm. really you know, imported mm. multi-manager to Australia. Things like style, investing the value and growth indices, we started mm. those mm. We had Australia's first target date fund. So lots of the things that are quite mainstream in Australia were actually pioneered by Russell. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a new one which we've just done, which I'm super proud of, which is Goal Tracker. So this okay. is Australia's first personalised superannuation default mm-hmm. where we take all we know about our members mm-hmm. and create an individualised asset allocation and that is totally game-changing. Mm, interesting. Well, we'll get you back and we'll talk about some of those more specific um, things because today what I really want to know about, Jody is more about you. You're in the money game, yes. um, financial services, but where did you learn about money growing up? It's a, it's a very good question, Maureen. I think I learned about money growing up because I didn't have any. Mm. So I grew up in... Um, you know, in a, in a very working class family. My dad was a logger. My mum worked at the local council in, in the New accounts. South Wales. In New South yeah. Wales. So I grew up in the town called Bombala. Bombala. No, well, on the south coast. Do you? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. well, my sister and husband had a um, very large family owned for years um, dairy farm at Bega. So we would travel down the coast and I remember all these names, Cabago and Bombala yes. and there they went on and on as I've been going there since I was a kid, yeah. I, lo- well, I, love, mm. I love it down there. My mum still lives in Marimbula, which is close ah, by. Nice, yeah. Beautiful part of the world. Mm. But Bombala is a, is a timber town. Yes. There's not a lot of money there. Mm. Um, I didn't have a lot of examples of people that knew much about money mm. in my life. So 
Um, you know, we lived a reasonably hand-to-mouth existence. We were by no means, you know, poor, no. but mm. Um, mm. there wasn't discussion on budgeting mm. or saving. Um, and so w- what I learned from that, Maureen, is I really wanted to have money. Mm. I wanted to feel financially secure mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to live in the big smoke. Mm. So those things really motivated mm. me. And know. what age did you come to the big smoke? Sydney, I presume, or No, Melbourne? I didn't come to mm. Sydney straight away. I came, um, I, I went to the University of Newcastle to okay. study. Okay, um, And you got the, a Bachelor of Commerce at, I at did. Newcastle, yeah? I oh. did. So Newcastle was affordable for my family in mm. terms of, you know, the, the rent to live there. I would have loved to come to Sydney and got into mm. Sydney unis but couldn't afford to, to sure. come to them. Mm. So I went to Newcastle, had a fantastic time. Mm. I actually studied commerce law. Okay. So I was one of those, you know, country kids who, you know, in their small pond does really well but you never really know what you're going to be like yes. in the broader, yeah. bigger pond. But I actually did well in the HSC, much better than right. I expected. And yep. um, people around me said, oh, well, you should study law. Mm. Had zero interest but took mm. took advice. advice. Mm. And I was pretty much the Dennis Denudo of lawyers. I okay. was a hopeless <laughs> lawyer. I was always um, far more interested in business and money and yes. finance yeah. than the nitty-gritty of the law. Yeah. So after Argument I, and controversy. Yeah, mm. yeah. So the law is not for me. I have... I married a lawyer, I have a lot mm. of lawyer friends, great respect, mm. but it was not for me. Yes, yeah. Mm. Okay, so where did you get your start then? You've graduated from Newcastle Uni. Did you come to the bigger smoke of mm-hmm. Sydney then? Or? I sure okay. did and I couldn't wait. Um, so my first role was with the Commonwealth Bank in their institutional okay. bank and they had cadetships, I think they still have them, and mm. they're fabulous. Like they take you into different parts of the institutional bank for mm. three or four months and rotate you around. Okay. So I did that. I stayed on a bit longer there. So I was there maybe a couple of years before, um, realising that I thought the place for me was in investment management in some shape or form. Um, I knew there was mandated the, the superannuation guarantee, so I could see it was an industry that was going to grow. So I, I sort of wheedled my way into mm. investment into the investment management industry. Mm. And did you just love it? I did. Mm. I mean, it, the finance and investment management, like it's always changing. Mm. You you open, you know, the the AFR website or, or mm. any news website, mm. and you can see it applying to to mm. what you're doing every day. Your clients are asking about mm. those events every day. So, you know, you get your your basics in commerce and economics, and then apply it day to day, and that's fun. Mm. So now you're in Sydney mm-hmm. um, at the Commonwealth Bank. So many people start started off in yes. the Commonwealth Bank or AMP or some of those um, those brand names. And then I mentioned that you headed to London, and you talked about being living in Dubai. Yes. So what made it motivated that move offshore? So I'd lived, um, I'd been in Sydney for perhaps eight years. I'd gotten married to um, an Englishman who okay. moved out to Australia okay. as a skilled migrant mm-hmm. and much um, much to his disgust, one of the first things I said to him is, I really want to work in London. Mm. I've dreamed of it all my life. We have mm. to go and work in London. Mm. And he said, well, Jodie, I've just spent years <laughs> waiting to migrate to Australia. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. So I worked on him over, over time and uh-huh. um, to his credit, he actually got transferred with his work at okay. the time. That's convenient. Convenient. Yeah. I mm. followed and I worked for Russell in, in London, which mm. was a really eye-opening, interesting experience. Mm. I know a lot of people think of New York as the centre of the world, but mm. for me, London is Love the centre of mm. everything. Yeah. And Sam, what facilitated, again, was it work facilitated the move to Dubai? Robert's work, my husband's work. Okay. So 
we'd been in London for a couple of years and he said, uh, work is talking about sending me to Dubai. What mm. do you think? And I said, well, I've never been to Dubai. What's it like? He said, well, it's very sandy, very hot. Yes. Do you want to check it out? And I said, <laughs> no, let's give it a go. So yeah. we just, I moved sight unseen. I'm often yeah. uh, a boots and all kind of person. Yeah, so yeah. we went out and had a, a fabulous life for three years yeah. there. And, 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 you know, and going and to air Dubai. Air-conditioned comfort. Very air-conditioned. Yeah, like, yeah. It's so hot there. It's ridiculous. Mm. But it was a very um, important part of my life now because mm. that's where we were when we adopted our first three kids. Okay. Well, I'll ask you about that later because that's been, been I know, a big, a big part of your life. Mm. But, Jodie, before you said that when you were in Bombala as a kid and, you know, there wasn't a lot um, and that you wanted to make sure that you were financially secure. So... You're then in this world of money and financial services. At what point, and you would have been learning enormous things, at what point did you start transferring all of that knowledge that you had learned and that you were giving to clients or, you know, whoever, to yourself? When did you start to build up the Jody mm. Hampshire wealth? Probably later than you, than you might have. Than you might think, Maureen. So I think um, earlier in my career, you know, you're just starting out getting a mortgage and yes. so on. Um, thankfully, my husband was always very sensible with money. Um, it, it really, it really has been in the last probably five to seven years mm. that I've taken very deliberate action to improve my financial security mm. because I had the bandwidth to do so. Yes. So earlier in my uh, I had perhaps five years out of the workforce mm. spending money on a business that was making not much money. Mm. And children. Mm. Ch four children mm. are expensive. I have a grandchild mm. as well. Mm. Um, and, it, yeah, it wasn't really until the last five to seven years that the mortgage was paid off mm. and we were in a – or I was in a position to make um, good financial decisions for, mm. for my future – trying to build passive income, trying mm. to think about um, what I had a lot of, you know, I have a lot of exposure to investment markets mm. through my job. Mm, you of know, course. The money mm. I earn is very driven by investment markets. So mm. looking and making sure that I have, a d I have plenty of shares and uh, mm. those types of investments, but trying to make sure I'm diversifying as mm. well. So if someone was trying to get into the share market, what would you suggest to them? Yeah. I mean, you've just said that you're building up your own personal mm -hmm. wealth your whole environment of Russell is about shares and, you know, movement of money. So if I was to come to you and say, you know, my niece or one of the young people in my office, you know, was really keen on getting into the share market, got any tips there? So I think that um, getting in as early as possible is really important. The power of compound interest, you know, putting $100 or $1,000 into the share market mm. today if you're young um, really reaps rewards in 10, 20, 30 mm. years' time if you can leave it there. I think um, simple access to the share market is important when mm. you're starting out. So some of the micro-investing apps are mm. great. I've used some of them myself just mm. to, to try them out. You don't need lots of money mm. to start your share investing journey. Mm. Uh, and there are so more are these of those ones, all these the like time. Rays yeah. and yeah, mm. yeah, Rays. I think mm. CBA's put one yes, out. Yeah. More recently, it's just rounding up. You know, as you make a purchase, yes. rounding up to the nearest dollar mm. and then sweeping that into a pre-selected investment portfolio. Yes. Um, mm. You need to be careful with fees. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. probably the biggest um, yeah. thing, mm. or one of the biggest things to be careful of as an investor is to make sure you understand the fees you're paying. Mm. But if you've got a few thousand dollars building up, it's it's an uh, mm. economic way to do things. The other thing I'd say to people starting out is um, 
broad, you know, broad-based funds that are across the market, so a global equity fund or an Australian equity fund, are a really good way to dip your toe in the water mm. to understand how to place a trade mm-hmm. with a broker. And, and most people are well served by, you know, you, p- people without loads of money to invest yeah. are well served by using the share trading in their bank. Mm. You know, and just for somebody, apps. and there's a lot of people who don't understand the basics of share market investing. So when you say a fund, mm. what you're doing then is you're not investing in, say, the Commonwealth Bank or Telstra or whatever. What are you doing, Jodie? So yeah. what you're doing <laughs> is you're pooling your money with mm. a whole bunch of other people and yes. you're, invest- you're getting tiny slices of lots of different companies. Mm-hmm. So if you invest in an Aussie equity fund or an Aussie shares fund, you might be investing in 200 of Australia's top stocks Mm -hmm. and you'll have little proportions of each of those. So you don't need to know a lot Mm. about individual companies. You're getting exposure to the broad-based share market. Mm. That's a really sensible way to start out. Mm. Okay, interesting. We'll talk more about that later. I think at another time because we've still got lots to to go here too. Talking about your role at Russell, because Mm. you're in a senior role and it's really important for us at Tilly Money to speak to people like yourselves who are role models because you're basically heading up Russell Russell Australia. Mm -hmm. Tell tell us about that role as MD and what it entails. Sure. So uh, I am in the the privileged position of leading the Russell Investments Australian business. So Mm -hmm. we have um, about $30 billion under management in Australia. Mm -hmm. We have a master trust which looks after, but is basically corporates outsourcing their superannuation to us. We have clients that ask us to run all of their investments for them. Mm-hmm. So they might be um, a charity, they might be another super fund. We have um, a large trading business. We trade trillions of dollars mm-hmm. a year and um, we'll manage transitions for some of Australia's largest super funds on mm-hmm. their behalf. Um, and then we have a retail business where we're um, providing investment solutions to advisors mm. to then, um, you know, to provide um, good multi-manager, multi-asset solutions to their end clients. So it's a broad role um, and I am responsible for the P&L of the business. Mm. I'm responsible for um, our strategy. Mm. Typical, respons- typical CEO. Yes. Yeah, responsibilities. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, mm. that's right. And you're a member of the Russell Leadership team of course I would expect you to be but what does that involve? So I'm a member of Russell's leadership team in Mm -hmm. Asia Pacific so it's people in similar roles to me so Mm -hmm. you know the person that runs New Zealand, China, Japan, Korea. Um, We will get together at the moment we're getting together most weeks and talking about strategy in the Asia Pacific region, sharing ideas. Um, It's great to work in a global company Mm. because often we've done something somewhere else Mm that we can quickly learn from. You don't have to reinvent everything all the time. Well, you talked about before about the importance of innovation. So you can see innovative things. I think this is what you're saying. You see innovations in other parts of the world that you can actually bring to Russell Australia or vice versa. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and actually given the state of our market as a very defined contribution supermarket, and, and by that I mean um, individuals uh, have a super fund mm-hmm. and they bear the risk of... Um, how well that fund goes, how much they save for retirement. In the old days, everybody had a defined benefit fund um, where the company would, you know, basically say you're going to get X percent of your salary every mm. year in retirement. Like those days are gone. Australia is a very defined contribution 
individualized mm. superannuation market and because of that we're much more innovative here mm. than um, than a lot of other markets so Russell globally looks at stuff we've done in Australia and thinks about how they can apply that to their markets mm. which is still transitioning from defined benefit to defined contribution mm, interesting CEO roles Jody they carry a lot of responsibility and often a lot of stress now I read something that you're doing that alleviates stress. How do you how do you manage the stress that comes with such a senior role? Yeah, it's something I think that you learn to do over time. Mm. Um, I have had, you mentioned before, breast cancer. I have mm. three adopted children, and they have um, their own challenges and, and issues, and are often quite complex. Um, you know, a, a, a decent job with mm. a, with a bit of responsibility. So I've, I've had a, a lot of things going on for, for some years now. Um, one of the things that I turned to when the wheels were about to fall off a few years ago was meditation. Mm. So I'd meditate, like post breast cancer, I, um, I read a lot about meditation and how it would, you know, how it was beneficial and reduce stress and, and so on and so on. And I tried to do it on an app and I never really quite got there. <laughs> mm. And I eventually went to a studio and mm. was taught in person. And you're qualified And then became meditation a meditation teacher. Yes. yes. Yeah, so yeah. I, I liked it so much I decided to become a meditation teacher myself. Mm. Um, so that I qualified early this year, I think. And so mm. um, that's a practice that I incorporate into my life now every day. So I'll meditate every day for 30 minutes. Mm. I will fit it in no matter what is going on. Um, it helps me to keep perspective, to manage stress, mm. to sleep better, to be more thoughtful and to make better decisions. I'm a very quick thinking person mm. and I don't mean that as a fabulous thing. It's sometimes mm. a bit dangerous. Mm. I'll Slow, react, slowing it down. Yeah, yeah. I react super mm. quickly. Meditation's teaching me to, to just stop, take my time and mm. be a little bit more thoughtful and I think um, that to me personally is super helpful. Mm. Have you got Robert and the kids meditating? Robert, yes, he's been. He was meditated <laughs> longer than me, ah, um, mm. but he he sort of stopped doing it, and I pushed him back into it a couple of years ago. The kids, you know, I don't force it down their throat because I don't want them to be anti meditation. No. Mm. But when I can see that they need that, how old are I'll they? Give it a try. So mm. my oldest is twenty five, mm -hmm. and then. My next one is 17, the next one is 15, and the next one is 10. Okay, okay. And my so there's a spread. Five. They're, yeah, okay. really spread out. Mm. My 10-year-old quite likes meditating. She'll often mm. ask mm. to do something mm. um, as she's going to bed. Mm. Um, but just little techniques around, you know, little techniques to manage anxiety and so on are really helpful to teach mm. the kids as well. I think you're probably going to say meditation helps, but where do you find the strength to do all that you do between managing a family doing what you do with your own personal health, which I would imagine you concentrate on improving, you know, and always looking after that, and then the job. How do you balance it all? Mm. Uh, well, first of all, my husband looks after the kids, so Good. he's full-time stay-at-home. He has his own business, but he's oh, a primary, okay. primary carer. Mm. I've been a bit more involved this year, like most mm. working parents. I've cooked dinner probably for the first time in... 10 years consistently, mm. which okay. is good. I've become a much better cook. I was quite rubbish before. <laughs> um, so my husband manages home. Yes. That helps That's hugely. must be a big help. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Um, I have an excellent team at Russell. I've been there mm. now for seven years. So yeah. I've built a team that I really trust yeah. and 
um, and can rely on and things yes. just work. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing when you get that in your oh, business. It, it flows. It tends yeah. not to last forever. No, but no, while, but you're while you've got it, enjoy it. <laughs> while yes. you're there, enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and meditation is, is hugely important as well. I think that really impacts my mindset day mm. in, day out. Mm, that's fantastic. In terms of the children that you just mentioned, so your first three children were adopted mm. and I think... Recall you saying that you adopted those while you're in Dubai. Um, was that a difficult process to go through? The process itself wasn't difficult. So you probably know, um, as, as most 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 of your listeners will, adopting in Australia is super super hard. We had always wanted to adopt, um, but because we were expats, we just thought we were going to run out of time to mm. do it. Um, when we moved to Dubai, I was reading the local newspaper one day. And saw a man that's now... In English? <laughs> in English, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's heaps of English, mm. English newspapers. So reading this newspaper and there was a man in it with four adopted children from Sierra Leone. He's, mm. he's now a friend and, and we mm. know him. And I had this light bulb moment of, oh, gosh, mm. maybe we can adopt here. Like, mm. what are the odds of that? So um, so we investigated and, and very quickly went from investigating to going through the process. The process in Dubai was far easier than it would be in Australia. Um, that's good and bad. Um, the more challenging part was we bought, we went from zero to three kids in a year. Amazing. Mm. And I remember people saying to me at the time, um, that's very brave. Mm. I think what they really meant was like, that's foolhardy. And, yeah. I, w and I would say in retrospect <laughs> it was, you know, never being a parent. Well, so what age were they at the <laughs> Well, time? my eldest girl was 12. Mm. So can you imagine yeah. that? Mm. 12, four and two. Mm. So... That, um, you know, the first probably five years of, of the kids being at home were tough. Were they related? Super tough, yes. Yes, okay. Yeah, so that would have made it easier in many ways. I guess so, yeah. yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that would have been a tough time. How did you manage that? How did I? Well, I didn't meditate at the time, Maureen. I probably mm. should have. I would have <laughs> yes, coped a lot probably, better. You probably wouldn't have had the time though, Jodie. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think probably the thing that helped so, – so in Dubai we – didn't have access to the same sort of support we would have had in Australia. So in Australia, um, especially if you if you can afford to pay for mental health support, you can get some really great support. In Dubai, it's a little bit, um, it's a bit more behind. Um, Trauma-informed psychology, like that just doesn't really exist there. Really what we, what we lent on in Dubai was there was a, a great community of adoptive families mm. and every Wednesday we would I would take the kids and meet with my girlfriends who had adopted kids and we'd drink Earl Grey tea and we'd chat about what was going on and that was equivalent to therapy for me and that's um, a couple of my best friends still uh, are from that time and, and they're the people that I wrote Lionheart, the guide mm. to adoptive families mm. with and that again was like therapy which was, you know, that was a few years ago. Mm. So we'd been adoptive parents for probably 10 years when we released yeah. that book. Yeah. Um, but in the early days, just having someone who understood what you were going through was really, uh, like, essential. Yeah, I can imagine. So your spread of kids, I think you said your oldest is 25 mm -hmm. and then your youngest is 10. Yes. Are you teaching them money lessons? I'm trying hard. It's a little bit like meditation. I don't want to talk about compound interest every night over dinner. No, no. But when they ask me, I get very excited. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just take that as an opportunity to, to teach them a little bit. Mm. So we teach them sensible things like, you know, try not to borrow money 
for dumb things. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, at uni I borrowed money for a Mitsubishi Sigma that blew <laughs> up in a year, but I borrowed another thousand or two thousand mm. dollars and went to Portman's and bought heaps of clothes. Like yeah. I have made really yeah. poor financial mm. decisions as a I youngster. I think there was a song I did all the dumb things. Yeah. That was mm. pretty much yeah. me. Mm. You know, and that I, I paid that loan back for years. Mm. So mm. I want them to avoid borrowing money for dumb things. Mm. Um, trying to teach them. The discipline to save, mm. trying to teach them. This is an interesting one I haven't really thought a lot about, but trying to teach them to be good online shoppers mm. because they, they will come to me and say, Mom, look at this phone. Mm. It's only a few hundred dollars. Mm. And I say, all right, let's have a look at the reviews on that site. Mm. Um, so trying to make them a bit more mm. savvy in an online world is something we don't talk much about in terms of teaching our mm. kids financial skills. And then as um, my eldest is 25, she's starting to save for um, for a deposit, for a flat. Fantastic. So mm. trying to help her in, in making sensible decisions mm. around all of that. My son actually has got his first job at Baker's Delight. Mm. Fabulous, um, yeah. So mm. he works a few hours a week there. You sound like you're instilling some of those lessons that that Bombala kid learnt, you know, I hope about so. looking it's after yourself. and. I think so, mm. Maureen. It's hard because my kids are growing up a lot more financially secure than mm, than I you was were. they have mm. a lot more money around and mm. I think I speak you know I speak to lots of other professional families mm. and, and we all struggle with the same things trying yes. to teach the kids the value of a dollar that's right when there's plenty of money around, around. Mm. like I remember if I needed shoes I, I would have to wait yes for months mm. if my kids mm. need shoes yeah they just have to wait till I have time to order them online mm. like and they've got other really shoes to wear exactly. in the meantime yeah exactly mm. It's a tough. It's a tough one for parents, but still we've got a battle on. We we have to teach them about financial independence yeah, and absolutely. looking after yourself and not always being there. You know, your parents at call. You know, they're important things to teach. But um, what's been apart from your children? Obviously, you know, you're doing amazing things there. But what's been your greatest personal investment, Jody? So, okay, my my best personal investment are probably those that I've had for the longest. So it's it's broad-based funds. Mm. So I, I do have private equity investments. Yeah. I do have angel investments. Yep. I'm part of an um, angel investing network that focuses on female-founded mm. businesses. I just joined that a year ago. Do you so want to give us a quick brief um, of what an angel investment is, just for anyone who yeah, may not sure. know? So mm. angel investors are people that will invest in a, in a startup yep. and provide them funding to move mm. through to, to perhaps a venture capital mm. round, eventually an IPO, but yep. it's the very, very early stages yes. of, a, of a startup. When someone has an idea but they don't have the money Correct. and the bank won't give it to them, an angel comes along. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So it's great to be part of a group to do that. It's mm. not something I'd like to do alone because I don't have the time to, you know, to seek out things and, um, and investigate and research thoroughly. But um, I w uh, the group scale investors does a lot, takes a lot of that friction out and, and you just have a look and I try to invest in things that um, – that I understand, mm -hmm. um, and that's I think a really important lesson for people. If you if you're investing in a very broad way in a you know in a broad based Australian equity or global equity fund or index or ETF, mm -hmm. that's cool. Mm -hmm. And I uh, but don't invest in individual shares mm -hmm. if you don't understand what the exactly. company does. Mm -hmm. So I'll only invest in individual shares when I understand what the company does. Well, I think that amazing investor Warren Buffett says exactly, exactly. that. You know, yes. do not buy anything if you don't understand it. You exactly. know, it's, it's basically what you're saying is common sense. Yeah. Yes, not and as common uh, as you'd think. Maureen. Not as common as you think. <laughs> Let's go back to that 25-year-old girl who yes. was employed by the Commonwealth Bank down 
up from Bombala but down from Newcastle, um, pretty much the same age as your oldest daughter is mm. now. What kind of advice do you think you'd like to give that girl if you could go back then, Jodie, and on the pretext that Jodie, as a 25-year-old, would listen? Because mm, okay. we often don't. <laughs> That's very true. Okay, the advice I would give to myself, Maureen, don't, um, don't take that loan out. Mm. Don't buy all those clothes from mm. Portman's because you're going <laughs> to pay that off for a really long yeah. time. Um, you know... I think most of the choices I've made have been have been really quite sensible. So I, I think um, I would probably give myself the advice to um, to worry less mm-hmm. and, you know, one foot in front of the other and you'll fall on your feet. Mm, that's very, very good advice. Now, Claire has, and I say this to everyone as well, Claire devised this lightning round of questions. Ooh. You know, she comes up, Claire's a good innovator, she comes up with great ideas and... I'm going to say them quickly to you today and it, you can do one or two words but it's just there to prompt you. So you're ready to take the lightning I'm round, Jodie. You're ready to take the <laughs> yes. test, yeah. I won't rest until... Until I've made lots of people financially secure, including myself. Good one. Financial freedom is? Choices. Definitely. Always invest in... Things you understand. I thought you were going to say Russell. <laughs> that's implied <laughs> yes but things you understand that goes back to the warren buffett maxim mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier the future holds a more compassionate um more compassionate leaders and better business mm, i like that one and i hope that's what comes true what's most important is um living with purpose for our final lightning round question the world needs more compassionate leaders and financially savvy women. Mm. Hear, hear. Jodie, it's been wonderful talking to you. Um, I'm so grateful that people like you are in positions and being shining lights to younger women. And um, I really do hope you come and talk to us more about the nitty-gritty of investing. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Maureen. Thanks, Jodie. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. See you next time.